0: Hello and welcome to the Listener Podcast, episode 4. I'm going to explore some suggested topics today and I think I'll sort of set them up in a joint frame. So, okay, so as you've probably guessed from the title of this episode, uh, this is going to be about things like self-love, self-esteem, dealing with psychological trauma and perhaps uh, perfectionism. Actually, let's start with that one because it's pretty cool. So, I mentioned before that our perception doesn't deal with actual objects, but with patterns. Um, But what I failed to mention is that, by and large, those patterns can be interpreted in terms of tools and obstacles. And I mean that technically. This, again, I've learned from my man JP. We don't see objects and then infer utility. We first see the utility, like in the pattern, and then we figure out the object we so don't really care what it is as long as it does the job, right? So, and this goes a little farther than that and into something like time perception. Now, time perception is, at the moment, just a, a bunch of technically induced and somewhat heterogeneous theories. So I'm not going to go into that. Um, and instead, I'll use some imaginative cues to sort of explain the way I see it. So time as we can all deduce can be simplified as being a trajectory of sorts like you go from point a the starting point uh to a point b and that's the finish line in some sense you're always in a point a because you never stop right so you never really reach a point b because as soon as you approach that point b it gradually turns into a new starting point and it's like to what degree is it really a point B if you can achieve it exactly as you plan to? Like time or perceived time is determined by where you are and where your aim is. And they can't be the same location unless you're dead, I guess. So really perfectionism isn't about trying to improve, uh, trying to reach that point B because, well, that's natural. That's what every... Living thing does perfectionism is when you refuse to accept that Ambivalent nature of our aim as I mentioned before you can aim at something, but you can't achieve the ideal itself Because your aim or your ideal is always at a distance by definition and perfectionists can't accept that but what it does is it makes for a lot of negative emotion frustration because unless you're able feel positive emotions when moving towards a more realistic version of that ideal you're never gonna feel any positive emotions at all because that's what life is it's moving from one point of imperfection to hopefully a slightly better point of imperfection and actually because we can't achieve that point b conceptually speaking we're not gonna feel good about reaching it like technically you know we we feel good when we feel like making progress it's something that happens as a consequence of that it's a dynamic phenomenon now people say money doesn't fix your problems and that's partly true because problems are capable of scaling right but that's not accurate the reason why we say that uh you know i'd rather be sad in a lamborghini it's not because we believe that it would make things easier for us but because it would give us more time to figure it all out because indeed money grants us that sort of thing. It makes things that much more stressful because now you got a lot more to lose but you also got a better chance at improving. You know say you lost a challenge, now you call it 2 out of 3 and then 3 out of 5 but for that to happen you need the 2's and the 3's and that's something that money could possibly provide so it makes total sense for people to say that kind of thing like it's not losing that kills us it's the fact that we run out of comeback options and for crazily perfectionistic people well they feel like they risk it all all the time and they'll always fail because obviously they can't win because they can't reach that ideal and eventually they'll realize that they run out of options and they will break down and now that's a real gamble. It's not it's not something that a lot of people can recover from because you can't recover unless you fix your conception of the world and of yourself, and therapy can help you do that. So if you know people who are like this, I guess you can tell them your concerns about it and, and be there for them when they'll fall so that they won't fall too hard. Um, And try to guide them through the fog and into therapy, perhaps. But you can't force it. You can't help someone who doesn't want to be helped. And perfectionistic people are going to be like that. So be careful. Now, moving on to self-esteem. Well, let's start with this. Self-esteem has been overrated forever, really. It's not that it doesn't exist per se. It's that... It's just something that can't really be modified reliably. I mean, self-esteem correlates to a massive degree with overall positive and negative emotions. And positive emotions are predicted by extroversion, whereas negative emotions are predicted by neuroticism, which are two personality dimensions. Now, there's another personality dimension named conscientiousness which deals with things like self-discipline and self-efficacy and with overall work performance. And this personality dimension uh, can help regulate, to some degree, the other dimensions. So it can help tamper down the negative consequences of neuroticism and it can help balance some of the behavioral tendencies that have to do with extroversion. So, you know, introverted people can try to be more socially active. And more extroverted people can develop a sense of contentness in regards to solitude. So self-esteem is something that describes this interaction that happens between various personality dimensions. But in my opinion, because it is such a complex phenomenon, self-esteem often doesn't mean anything. Now, self-esteem and self-love and uh, self-acceptance and, and self-whatever, they're somewhat distinct, but all of them come from the same fundamental premise. And that premise is the existence and the evaluation of the self. And I'm not, I'm not going to go into psychoanalysis. So instead, I'm going to try to draw a functional conclusion. Okay, so you can't directly change how you feel about yourself but you can get to know yourself better and that's self-awareness and it doesn't just happen you ha- if you have a low self-esteem that doesn't really say much because there's nothing for you to do about it it's just a tag of sorts and it's actually not a good one so instead what you can do is to try to put your life in order and and take charge of it. You know, sit down, take your time, evaluate your life, your dreams, your interests, and just observe yourself. You want to become a doctor or a nurse or whatever, and what you do is lying in bed and scrolling through Instagram and Facebook endlessly. And and then you say, well, I'm not satisfied with myself, or I hate myself, or I have low self-esteem, you know. And it's like, that's not the end of it. Now, that's not to say that there's no such thing as clinically depressed people or that people shouldn't feel bad about themselves. Um, There are, and they should. (laughs) The difference between clinically depressed people and just self-proclaimed depressed people is that the clinically depressed people rarely feel any positive emotion, even though they have a life that's put together well. And... They're actually trying, and and they're disciplined, and yet the chemical imbalances, the the structural changes in their brains don't allow them to feel any of it. So, you know, you get beaten down, you have a rough time, and, and sometimes there's no going further, and that's it. It's a tragic end of story. But for the vast majority of people, especially young people, that's not the case at all. They still got some options. They can still do something about it. And sometimes all it takes for that to happen is a word of encouragement for them to know that they could manage it, that their lives can be meaningful. And a lot of us just don't get that. Not really, not in a real enough way. We're told that we just deserve it. And that's just not true. And that's why it doesn't work. Nobody deserves anything unless they put in the effort. And even then it's not a guarantee. Like sometimes it's not the effort, it's the persistence of that effort along with a sense of humility and self-awareness. As in, I have the strength to get back on my feet every time I fall. And I also have the wisdom to know when my aim is inaccurate. And that's a skill that takes a long time to develop, perhaps even a lifetime of trial and error. But then there are the people who are facing some impossible issue, a traumatic issue. For them, you know, the lights are out. And hardly anyone can do anything about it. I mean, the thing is, to some degree, I believe that people are equipped to handle tragedies like misfortune and death and natural disasters and and life as such but i don't think anyone's really prepared to face well let's call it evil for lack of a better word or malevolence because when it comes to more natural tragedies people have got each other to rely on And, and the more chaotic the environment gets the more we have to do that but when people themselves are not to be relied on. That's a, that's a hard blow that I don't think anyone can really defend against or recover from. So for the people who have gone through something like this, who are going through something like this, they have to first reestablish a sense of trust in other people. And a good therapist can help, can, can guide them in that direction. If you're friends with someone who can relate to that, or if you go through something like this yourself, just know that this sort of burden is just too heavy for anyone to carry alone. And I assure you that there are people who can help with that, and more importantly, who'd be happy to be of assistance to you. So, if you're lost in this and you haven't found yourself yet, just try to hang on. There is there is still hope so look to mergo thanks for listening